Get your Bibles out. I want to talk to you for a few minutes. I started this last week and I want to bring it to a conclusion tonight. Um, I believe it is very important for us to understand this. I believe that um, I believe that you guys would want to know what the will of God is for your life, especially before Jesus comes back. And there's a lot of people that would say, you know, I want to know what the ministry God has for me is. What is my ministry? What is my calling? And so that's what I want to deal with tonight. Because if you don't know this, and if you don't believe this, then it would be very hard for the Holy Spirit to get out a more defined, specific call for your life. Because whatever it is that God has for you to do in this world, your function and your role within the body of Christ, I can assure you that it will be upon the foundation of these two things. And so I want you to read with me in the Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 as we begin, just to see your calling in the Lord and what it is that he has for you to do. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 26, for you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yes, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are so that no flesh should glory in his presence. The calling of God on your life is such that whatever it is God's going to do through your life, he is going to get the glory for it, and you are not going to really be able to take the credit for it. And it's not the fact that God cannot choose someone in, in this regard that is wise, someone in this regard that has strength according to the flesh, if they're humble people. But the typical choice of God is for those that are weak, those that are foolish, those that are not mighty, those that are base, those that are despised. This is the majority of God's choices. And so if you sit here tonight and you are of the opinion of yourself That I'm not much. I don't have much to offer. I don't have much to give. I'm not thought of very well. People don't think that I'm wise. I don't even think I'm wise. So how could God ever use me? You are his choice. That's what he's looking for. And the exciting thing about it is. Is he wants to do something through your life. That is supernatural. So if you think you're weak. God chooses you and he's going to do something in your life that is very powerful. And it's going to be so powerful, you know, you can't take the credit for that. And then it says also that he will take the things which are not to bring to naught the things that are. And that's gifting. And a lot of times people think that the calling of God has to do with their talent, which is something that you're born with. But that's really not the case. 
Because a lot of talented people go into Christianity and a lot of talented people go into the ministry and a lot of talented people take the credit. And it's not that talented people can't serve God if they're humble. But what God is going to primarily do in your life is he's going to put something, deposit something into your life that is not there right now. And he's going to put it there, and it wasn't there beforehand. Now it's there, and God's going to work through it, and you're going to know it's supernatural. And this is an incredible relationship that we get to have with God, because he really does this. And this has been the typical testimony of men and women throughout the ages who were used greatly by God, that they were stunned that God could use them. We made them great. They never made themselves great. Some of the greatest missionaries that you will ever read about, some of the greatest preachers that you will ever read about or study, even in the epistles, they did not attribute to themselves that greatness that the church heaps upon them. And it's not wrong that the church does that to them. But by their own admittance, it was supernatural that God would use their life. So that is your calling And I would say that most of you now in this room are without excuse to serving God. You cannot use the excuse, I'm not smart enough. You don't need to go to college. You don't need to go to seminary. You don't need a PhD. You don't need to know Greek and Hebrew to be a servant of God. You don't need that. He's coming for you in that weakness and in that humility. And that's what, it's not that he can't use the, the other. He can if there's humility. But please understand that. And I want you to read this in chapter 1 of Revelation, which also defines our calling. And in Revelation chapter 1, we are told in this verse of Scripture what has happened to us and who we are. And it's speaking about Jesus Christ and what he has done through his blood. And it says in verse 6, he has made us kings and priests unto God and his father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so what God, what Jesus has done with you as a believer is through his blood, he has washed you and he has made you new. And he has brought you into a new place and a new standing and a new capacity that you really are a king and a priest unto God. The crisis of that is a lot of Christians don't believe that. You will agree with the scripture, but you don't believe it on a day-to-day basis. And so last week we talked about the new covenant kings. And I don't have time to go back into that message. If you missed it, I encourage you to get it. Because you are chosen by God and created by Jesus Christ to be a king. And you are to reign in this life. You are to reign unto God, through God, by God, for God in this world. Now, we're not going to take dominion of the earth. Jesus will when he comes back. But we should take dominion in our homes and in our families and those demons that war against our children 
And even in our culture, the church should be a tremendous force against the onslaught of the enemy. We are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. And so we have authority and we have rights in regards to everything over principalities and powers, over diseases and sicknesses, over natural things, over, over, over weather patterns, anything that you might consider Jesus Christ, who lives in us and who is with us, has endued us with authority to be able to deal with the matters of life that we are living in. If it's somebody at your work, if it's somebody in your school, somebody in your community, that the devil might be working through, you have authority in Christ to deal with that. Now, what we saw last week was that this authority is not independent. This authority that you have been given by Jesus Christ works in conjunction with his church. And so when you have a regard and the respect for the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, and you know your place in the church, and you operate in the church, as the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, That it is the Holy Spirit that puts us in the body where it pleases Him. And so He puts us in the church and not everybody's an eye, not everybody's an ear, not everybody's a mouth. He puts us in the church where He wants us to be. And when we function in that capacity where He has placed me, there is authority in my life through that church. And so we saw that last week. And it's not to say that Christians, if you're off by yourself doing something or you're somewhere that you don't have authority, it's by no means to, to say that or even to suggest that one Christian, wherever they are, has more authority through Christ than all of the demonic hordes of hell put together. So it's by no means to suggest that. But what I do want to say is, is that it seems and it appears that there is a great growing darkness in our world. And I believe that there is an increase of darkness, increase of crime, increase of demonism, increase of atheism, because there is a lack of testimony for Jesus Christ. Not a lack of preachers, books, TV programs, radio programs, and not a lack of churches, but a lack of the demonstration of Jesus, which comes through people who understand the body of Christ and authority. And so, if you don't understand submission to authority, then you don't know how to work with authority. And demons know that. And so, it's very important that we understand it. But my point tonight is not the kings. We talked about that last week. Tonight, I want to talk about the priesthood. Because you are new covenant priests. And most of you would probably, if you study your Bibles, would be familiar with Old Covenant priest. Old Covenant priest who would mediate between God and man, God and Israel, who would make sacrifices to appease God's wrath in regards to their sin, and who would constantly be bringing blood sacrifices and offerings to God, and a high priest sprinkling that up on the altar. And we're familiar with this, and we're familiar with the priesthood, and they're holy, and they're separated, and and so forth like that. But what is the new covenant priest? What do we do? Because this is your calling. 
And whatever specifics that you actually have in your individual life, it has to be built upon this. Because Jesus has made you a king and a priest. And you're both of those things. And so in understanding your priesthood, I want you to see in 1 Peter chapter 2, this instruction that we have from Peter so that you will know and you won't be wondering, are we really a priest to God? And so in 1 Peter chapter 2, he tells us in verse 5, you also as lively stones, living stones are built up a spiritual house. A holy priesthood. So you are a priest. That is your calling. And if we cannot operate in the elementary things. Which are plainly written to us in the scriptures. It is very difficult for us to expect. If you will. The more detailed and specific callings of my life. If you're not operating as a king and a priest unto God, and yet you're wanting to know from God, what is it I'm supposed to do before Jesus returns to the earth? I want my life to count. You've got to begin on this foundation. And so it is very clear that you are a holy priesthood. And priests serve God. And they serve the people. And that is the definition of a priest. They serve God and they serve the people. Now, we're not a high priest and we're not Jesus Christ and we're not the advocate between God and man. That is Jesus Christ. But we have been made priest and we have the privilege of serving God and serving men. And we cannot deny that. And so we have to understand that whatever my calling is, am I a preacher, am I a missionary, am I a servant in the church, am I, am I supposed to be an office worker, whatever it is, you can be assured that whatever it is, God wants you to reign in authority wherever it is you are, and God wants you to be a servant unto him and the people. That's what he wants you to be. And so in understanding this priesthood, he says that this is our function. And he tells us right here, he sums it up in this. Our priesthood is to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. And so as we understand in the Old Testament, Old Testament priest would kill the lambs and, and kill the bulls and the turtle doves and, and so forth. And they would bring these offerings before God. Our offerings are spiritual. Right? So we're not going out and killing animals. Because we believe it was done once and for all through Jesus Christ. And his cross. So what we are doing is we're offering spiritual sacrifices unto God. And you can refer to Hebrews chapter 13. If you will. Well let's just turn there very quickly. What some of these spiritual sacrifices are. Because it's not confusing and it's really not that mysterious. And he says in Hebrews 13 verse 12. Wherefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered without the gate. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp bearing his reproach. 
For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And you're doing good to people. And you're communicating to people. You're not forgetting that. So here it is. Here's this, this spiritual sacrifice in First Peter. And then in Hebrews chapter 13, Paul begins to identify a spiritual sacrifice, which is praise. All right? You as a priest have been made a priest by Jesus Christ through his blood so that you can minister unto God praise. How often? Continually. And what is praise? It has to be something that comes out of your mouth. It's the fruit of your lips. The root of praise is not your mouth. The root of praise is your spirit and your faith. But the fruit of praise is what comes out of your mouth in words. You cannot praise God in your heart without it coming out of your mouth. And that is something that God is teaching us in this church. That we are striving with faith very diligently to do. And which I am very committed as a pastor to constantly provoke you to this love and this good work. I beg you often, people, praise God, praise Him. And yet, sometimes when we do that, I could watch Ethan sometimes, you know, and I love when my son's praising God and he's praying and he's just praising God in the worship and all of that. And sometimes I'll look around and there's not a lot of people opening their mouth. They're just listening to him. And this is not our priesthood. Our priesthood is not listening to a priest Give praise to God. Our priesthood is I get to also. And so when he's doing that, I'm opening my mouth. I'm not necessarily singing the song that people are singing. I'm thinking about something that is so awesome about God. And I just declare that to Oh God, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Great is your faithfulness, your mercy. And I'm just praising God with those words. This is what I get to, it's what I'm made to do. Why would God entrust me with a deeper calling or a more specific calling if this elementary ministry of praise is not going on in my life? If I have to be constantly reminded to do that, which is biblical and elementary, And black and white on the pages of your Bible. And yet as a church, we would need constant reminding and constant coaching to praise God. And God says, okay, and if I were to entrust you with a ministry where people's lives are in the balance, who's going to encourage you from day to day to day to do it? If you can't do the elementary thing. So the Bible talks about stewardship. We are to be good stewards of what God has given us. And in the stewardship of what God gives us, and we prove faithful in that, God begins to give us more. And isn't it wonderful that our priesthood has to do with what we say to God? That just simply means everybody could do it. 
There's not a person in this room that can say to God that I, that, that I'm aware of, God, I am disqualified because I cannot give you praise. Anybody can do that. And you shouldn't need coaching. It is your calling. And it needs to come out of your life. And so I just really want you to understand that. Another aspect of our priesthood is prayer. And I want you to see this in John chapter 16. I want you to read just a few of these scriptures with me. Because this is also our priesthood. Remember, our priesthood is spiritual sacrifices. And so one of the sacrifices is praise. And the other sacrifice that we have as priest is prayer. And I want to be very careful that you understand the type of prayer that I'm talking about tonight. In John chapter 16, verse 23. And in that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name... He will give it to you. Hitherto you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive. That your joy may be full. These things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs. But the time comes. When I shall no more speak to you in Proverbs. But I shall show you plainly of the Father. At that day. And that is very important. In verse 23, he says, in that day. In verse 26, he says, at that day. In verse 24, he says, up till now, you have not. But at verse 26, at that day, you shall ask in my name. And I say not to you that I will pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loves you. Because you've loved me and have believed that I came out from God. And so Jesus is telling the disciples something very radical. This is incredibly radical. But it's not to you guys. Because you have 2,000 years of Christian history. And a lot of you have had history as a Christian. A lot of you, some of you have been brought up in the church. And you know all about prayer. And you know how boring it is, and you know how stale it is, and you know how tough it is to pray. And that that's that's about the majority of what most people know. But I'm talking about our priesthood. And Jesus is telling his disciples, I am introducing something that is extremely radical to humanity. There is a day that is coming. When that day comes... Everything about you is going to change. At that day, when that day comes, you will be able to use my name. Not to ask me for things. But you will have direct access to my father because you love me. This is incredible. The Jews didn't have this. The high priest was able to go into God's presence once a year. And Jesus is telling his disciples something so incredible is fixing to happen on a particular day. That you are going to have direct access to my father. And you're going to be able to use my name. And you're going to be able to go ask him for things. And he's going to do it. 
Wow. And, and, and this is prayer. This is our, this is our priestly ministry. This is what he made us. And the tragedy of all tragedies is how the lack of prayer in the churches. And the lack of prayer in Christians' lives. Not saying prayers. There's a lot of that. But the lack of prayer. The lack of this petition and this request of God, which is absolutely phenomenal. As a matter of fact, the book of Hebrews says this, come boldly by a new and living way. Come boldly by a new and living way. So up to this point, up before that day got here, okay, I'm in John 16. Before that day arrived, which is Pentecost, before that day arrived, there was books, there was studies, there was seminaries, there was religion. All of these were common practice before Pentecost. But something is coming on a particular day. And on that day, there's going to be a new priesthood. And you're going to see something new happen in the earth that never happened before. Which is what we would call corporate prayer. Corporate prayer. It was not uncommon in the Old Testament during days of afflictions or pestilence or war. For the nation to gather together in humiliation and fasting. And a representative of the people would say prayers. But the people didn't pray. That representative would pray and the people would amen that. But they didn't have this access to God. Now I'm not saying God didn't hear people when they prayed. He absolutely did because he's merciful. And he's kind and he's good and he's generous. But they didn't have this ministry of priesthood. But now through the blood of Jesus Christ, he's made all of us priests. And we can go before God and we can talk to God. As a matter of fact, Jesus gives us his name. And I want you to see this in John 14. You're you're very close to there. In John 14 verse 13, Jesus says this. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name. That will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it that the Father may be glorified in the Son. In verse 14, he says, if you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. There's something about the name. In chapter 15, verse 16, he says this. You have not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. And that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. In chapter 16, verse 24, which we've already read, he said, Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive that your joy might be full. At that day, in verse 26, you shall ask in my name. What does this mean? What does it mean to ask in the name of Jesus? And and this is the reason. This is proof in the pudding of how so often multitudes of Christians do not understand prayer and authority. Because we believe if we say at the end of a prayer in Jesus' name, then we've prayed in his name. And if you were to pray and you did not close your prayer in the name of Jesus, people would be offended. Wait, 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 wait. You got to say in the name of Jesus. You got to pray in the name of Jesus. And a lot of times even saying these prayers 
and we close it in the name of Jesus. We really didn't pray in his name. We just said the phrase at the end of the prayer. So what does he mean by this? And it's very simple. It's not difficult to understand. And it's just simply this. You find in the Old Testament that there was a name given to the Israelites. And they were able to go before God through their priesthood in this name. And they would go to God in the name of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We beseech you, God. And God would be moved in regards to that prayer because of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What did it mean that they were praying in the name of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? This is what it meant. God, we believe that our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, established a covenant with you. And that, Father, you have established this covenant with them. And you are in covenant relationship with them. And we are their children. We are in relationship with them. Abraham is in me. I am in Abraham because I am his blood. I am his son. And I'm coming to you in the covenant promises that you made with our fathers. And you see this happening, like with Jehoshaphat. Lord, we've got an army coming against us. And he opens up the book, and he's in the name of Abraham and all this. You said, God, if this happened, then if we did this, you would do that. And so we're coming to you in that name of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're reminding you of the covenant, God, the covenant that our fathers gained with you and that we know you honor. And they believed that it was going to be done. Because they believed God was true and they believed their fathers were true. And when Jesus Christ gives us his name, we have a better name than Abraham. Better name than Isaac and Jacob. We have an incredible covenant. And so when we pray in the name of Jesus, it would be like the Hebrews that prayed in the name of Abraham. And we now go into the presence of the Father and we're coming. We are in covenant relationship with you, Father, through your son, Jesus Christ. We are drawing near to you through his blood and through his covenant. And Lord, on the basis of the covenant that you made with your son, Jesus Christ, we believe that you are an honorable God and Jesus is your honorable son. And you are true to the promises that you've made to your son. And based on that covenant, I'm asking you to heal me. Based on that covenant, I'm asking you to rescue my drug-addicted child. Based on that covenant, God, I am asking you to do. And whatever you ask in my covenant or in my name, it shall be done for you. That's what he said. But Christians don't pray that way. They don't. We don't oftentimes know that or understand. Now you do. And I encourage you to pray that way. And I'm certainly saying that there aren't multitudes that know that type of prayer and praying. Prayer and prayer meetings is our Pentecostal anointing. And if you were to go through the Old Testament, you wouldn't find many prayer gatherings. You would find solemn assemblies. That were called by national leaders for repentance. But you wouldn't find many prayer gatherings. But when you come into the New Testament. You find over and over and over and over again prayer meetings. You find them continuing steadfastly in the apostles doctrine and prayers. 
You find them gathering for prayer. In Acts chapter 4, you find them in a prayer meeting. And they're in a prayer meeting and they're praying an apostle out of prison. And when the apostle got out of prison, he knew right where to go because he knew where the prayer meeting was happening. It was, it, it became the norm of the New Testament church to meet together and pray for we are the corporate body of Christ. And there's authority in that body, not only for the things that are going on in earth, but there is also authority in that body when we come together in agreement and touch the throne of heaven and touch God with our praying. And so in Ephesians chapter 6, I would just ask you to turn there. And while you're turning to Ephesians chapter 6, I wanted to read to you this, what we read last week. Whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. If two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, and we're told how to ask, If two of you shall agree. This is not solitary prayer. This is not you in your prayer closet at home. Though that is extremely valuable. And God listens to it. And God answers it. But when that body comes together. To pray. In agreement. It moves heaven and earth. And history testifies of this. Y'all, when we came together and prayed as a body about Hurricane Ida, it moved the storm. And so if two of you shall agree on earth is touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, in that covenant standing... There am I in the midst of them. And private prayer is wonderful. But corporate prayer is as well. And it is necessary. And so in Ephesians chapter 6. You find this. And I'm, I'm just going to show you this. And, and I'm just talk to you for a minute. In verse 10. Finally my brethren be strong in the Lord. And in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. This is another lesson. But if you looked at all of the pieces of armor. It's the new covenant. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Put on the new covenant. Put on Christ. Now listen to this. Verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Isn't that something? What do we wrestle with, guys? Demonic forces. A spirit of antichrist that works in the world. It is amazing that when the body of Christ comes together, even through the pandemic, there was a discernment in the body of Christ. Dr. Fauci is dangerous. But it would be very difficult to say that because so many people had an affection for him. He is the national doctor. But now he has been uncovered. And you know now he was the voice of an antichrist spirit. And isn't it wonderful after the revealing comes to be able to know, thank God, I was hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit. I wasn't listening to the voice of an antichrist spirit. But I was listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And it's just wonderful that God gives you that confirmation to know, right? 
And so we're wrestling against this. We're fighting these conflicts and these battles against hell. Well, let me tell you something. The church needs to have an answer in pandemics. The church needs to know the voice of God and the voice of the enemy during pandemics. The church needs to know what the heart of God is and what God wants. In a world of confusion, the church can't be confused. What good are we? But we're the priest of God. And so we're able to abide with God. And we have authority from God. We're able to exercise that authority. So he says in verse 13, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. This is your priesthood. This is what you're called to do. You are called to wrestle against demonic forces. You're not to be a bystander. But you're to fight. Do you understand that? I'm talking about you guys. You're to fight. You're to do warfare. You're to have victory and authority over these principalities and powers. You're to put on the armor of God. You're to take the shield of faith. You are to quench the fiery darts of the wicked. You're to take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. And he's speaking to the church. He's speaking to the body of Christ at Ephesus, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints and for me that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. That's what our ministry is as priests. And beloved, when you begin to take on the divine calling of your life and what God created you to be, a king and a priest unto God, your Christianity suddenly becomes very exciting. You're actually in communion with God and you have authority over hell. You have authority over principalities and powers. You do not have to become a victim, but you, be, you become and you are the victor through Jesus Christ. Your prayers have an effect upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your prayers open the doors for missionaries and gospel preachers and evangelists to go into dark places where the light can come and multitudes get saved and cultures are changed because we prayed. If two or three gather together in my name, I am in the midst of them in that covenant relationship. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth would be loosed in heaven. And oh my God, the prayer meeting, you would expect it to be packed out. But prayer meetings in any given church are the most least attended services. Because Christians do not understand their priesthood. They do not understand their privilege to be able to pray. The greatest tragedy that I have personally witnessed in the earth today, in churches, the greatest tragedy that I've personally witnessed is the lack of altars and the lack of intimacy with God. That has been a tragedy that I have experienced all over the world. And I wonder sometimes, even in Pentecostal circles, where is the Holy Ghost? 
Where is He is our helper to pray. He is our helper to worship God. And many do not understand the importance of gathering for prayer. They see no reason why I have to go to prayer. Why can't I do this at home? But we cannot deny the efficacy of prayer throughout all the years of history. And the prayer meeting has suffered a devastating blow by Satan. And any alert Christian would have to ask the question, why does the devil fight so hard the prayer meeting? And why does he fight so hard the baptism in the Holy Spirit? And why does he fight so hard the exercising of the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Because I really, the devil would say, I really don't care that you gather. I really don't care that you gather and say prayers. That does not affect me at all. But when you pray in faith and in the Holy Ghost and understand your priesthood and you have authority and power over me and your prayers can unleash missionaries and churches in my kingdom, then I greatly fear you. So I'm going to stop your prayer meetings. I'm going to discourage your people from going to prayer. I'm going to make your prayer meetings religious and boring and I'm going to turn people off from God and turn them off from prayer and I'm going to do everything I can to destroy it and he becomes very very successful at that and we have to understand the importance of prayer ministers don't pray today and I'm not saying there aren't exceptions but ministers don't pray today ministers have much more enjoyment in learning They will exhaust themselves in studying and studying the thoughts of intellectuals. They love leading. They love organizing. They love planning. They love goal setting. They love setting up. They love developing leaders, but they do not pray. They say prayers, but they do not pray. Observe that. Watch that and pray for pastors and pray for leaders and pray for ministers That there would be a quality prayer life. Our anointing is to flourish in the courts of God. And I sum this up with you tonight. That one of the great purposes of our priestly ministry. And y'all look at me. One of the great purposes of our priestly ministry. Is that we have been given the privilege to offer up continually to God praise. Which is the fruit of our lips. Now nobody has to do that. But that's what you're created to do. That's what you're made to do. And you're also, your priestly ministry is to pray. And to fight spiritual wickedness and forces in high places. And to pray for the excellency of the word of God to be preached all over this world. And the Bible says this, I sum it up in the ministry of the prayer. We are to pray for his glory. The benefit of our prayer life, God getting the glory is our joy. Our prayer life as a priesthood affects the will of God on earth. For together in prayer, and it's essential that the gifts of the Spirit are moving in prayer. It's essential. It's essential that there's praise and worship during prayer. It's intimacy with God and communion with God. And everybody's not an eye and everybody's not an ear and everybody's not a mouth. So we need the body of Christ to come together so that in the whole body of Christ, somebody's going to discern the will of God. And they're going to speak that will of God in the prayer meeting. And the body of Christ is going to bear witness to that new covenant promise. And they're going to begin to pray, God, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And God says, done. It is done. I've heard you. It's done. And God's going to begin to move. 
Our prayer life is priest unto God, overcomes principalities and powers. Our prayer life is priest, secures boldness for preachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer life is priest, overcomes worry and fear that would plague the body of Christ. Our prayer life is priest, is the privilege to intercede for our brothers and our sisters in all of their agonies and in all of their sufferings and even to believe for their deliverances in which they will experience a miraculous intervention of God on their behalf there's nothing more exciting that you could ever be offered by God than the privilege of Jesus being able to say to you up to this point you've asked nothing but at that day which took place 2,000 years ago you're going to go right to my father I give you my name And whatever you ask him, he'll do it. And when the church has the revelation of that, then hell will certainly tremble at the name of Jesus. When people live and operate in the name, in the covenant, in the person of Jesus... That song we were singing earlier will be a reality in our communities and hell will tremble before this power. I invite you, church, to the priesthood that you're created for. I invite you to the kingship that you have been created for. In this last hour before the Lord returns, it is time for the body of Christ to be kings and priests unto God It is time for us to believe in the gathering of the body in prayer. And there's nothing that Satan attacks more. And I have this up here tonight because last week I put this up here. And I used this vase of roses that were pretty last week as a testimony of a congregation. And that's typically what a congregation does. They're separated and they're isolated and they come on their own and they join the church and they join the congregation and they fit in there and they make it look so pretty. But then because they're not attached to the body, they're not attached to life like this bush. They wilt. They look depressed. They're fading. They're not as pretty. And that's what people see when there are Christians who have not been a part of the body's life. You've separated yourself. You've isolated yourself. You try to put on a happy face. You've got the life of a rose, but you look so depressed. You look so down. Your life is fading. It's withering away. You're dying away. It won't be long before this fruit that was in your life that you like to show off. Oh, I had this experience with God. God used to use me like this. I used to have this ministry. It won't be long before all of that fruit just drops to the ground. And you're nothing but barrenness. And that's what happens to people that just go to church. They're congregational people. They join an assembly. They come late. They leave early. They're not apart. They're not in the fellowship. They're not fighting the battles. They're not joining together in the name of Jesus Christ. They don't know their significance. They don't know where their place is in the body of Christ. And so they're just kind of individual Lone Lone Ranger Christians. And I've met them. And I've even been that myself. Separating myself, isolating myself, and you know it by example, and you know it by experience. It's depressing to be a Christian and not be a part of the body, to not be a part of the life. It's depressing, and your life's fading, 
and you're drooping and there's depression in your life and there's not victory in your life and there's not beauty in your life. And all you spend your time doing is I remember when I remember when I remember when and this bush, it's been outside, it's been in the weather, it's been in the rain, it's been inside, it's been protected, it's been exposed and there's new buds coming. There's new life coming. It can be pruned. It can be cut back and it's going to grow. And it's just a parable that I wanted to bring into this room. And which one are you? Because you can live this way and you're not going to have a lot of authority in your life and you're not going to have a great priesthood in your life. It's not that you won't be a rose. It's not that you won't have the life of a rose. It's not that you're not a Christian and you don't have the life of Jesus. But it's quickly expiring from your life. Are you going to be this kind of Christian? Because I'm a part of the body of Christ, what he died to have. And I'm nurtured in that life, and I'm cared for in that life, and I get pruned in that life. And sometimes I'm out there in the elements, and I'm exposed to wind and weather and rain and everything else that I fear might damage me. But I keep coming back in life because of the supply of the body. I'm a part of something that is helping me live this whole thing is giving life to one another or you can be this and you know which one you are and a lot of people are this and they want to look like they're that and pretend they're like that but I don't want people in my life and I don't want people close to me because I've been too hurt and I've been too abused yeah we all have we all have And but you can live this way you can take your abuse to the grave and you can live this way or you can say you know what I'm going to be a priest I'm going to be a king. I'm going to live in the body. I'm going to serve Jesus unto God with his people. And I'm going to know the life of the Spirit of God. And I'm going to help people live as well. And not just be helped to live. So it's yours. He made you this. You know if you're occupying that ground or not. I don't have to belabor that point. But that's what he made you to be. And nobody's without excuse. I'm too weak. I'm despised. I'm base. I'm not much. Nobody. Oh, that's that's answered, right? You're the one he's choosing. Father, I thank you tonight in Jesus' name that you give us the privilege of serving you and ministering to men.